Well, good morning. My name is Kenny Rager, and it's, uh, it's great to be back with you folks again. Uh, I've had the opportunity to fill the pulpit a few times with you folks here at Valley Creek, and uh, I serve with your Kentucky Baptist Convention as an evangelism strategist for this kind of half of the state of Kentucky, and it's always a pleasure to help our Kentucky Baptist Convention churches. Sometimes it sounds like a broken record, but it's true we do appreciate greatly your cooperative program giving. When you give to the cooperative program, a church like Valley Creek, a Southern Baptist church that gives to the cooperative program, you are helping ministries all across the state of Kentucky and the world. So, for example, uh, Oneida Bible Institute, Clear Creek Bible College, Sunrise Children's Services, uh, our field missionaries and, and resources that we offer and that make available to our Kentucky Baptist churches, not to mention what happens to the North American Mission Board by planting churches in urban areas like New York City and Miami and Chicago and L.A. and Salt Lake City. And then in addition to that, maybe the biggest part that Valley Creek Baptist Church is putting over 3,000 full-time missionaries on the field that do not have to come home and raise support. They are fully funded because of churches like Valley Creek Baptist Church. Amen to that, right? And we appreciate so greatly your giving through the cooperative program. Well, it is a pleasure to be back with you guys today, and, and uh, you guys are a warm and loving church, and uh, honored to fill the pulpit for you guys as you guys are in transition this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word with you today, I want you to turn to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Brother Andrew told me that you guys are moving through the book of Philippians, talking about finding joy, so it's an honor to be able to preach to you today from the book of Philippians. As you're turning there today to chapter 2, um, you remember your first car, the first car you ever drove? Anybody remember your first car? Uh, my first car was a 1988 Pontiac Firebird that my dad gave me. He bought it brand new. Maybe it was a midlife crisis or something. I'm not for sure. But he bought it brand new. And but by the time that I got it, um, it, it was used a little bit, been through, been through a little bit. And, uh, but I spent my high school years, a little bit of college, doing all that I could to make that car my car. I mean, to make it pretty awesome. I put a brand new engine in it. I, did, I redid the upholstery in it. I uh, painted it. Uh, I mean, I, it, was, it was awesome. But I had one problem with that car that I never could really fix. It just kept on causing me problems. Do you guys remember, you got to put your, your time caps on a little bit and go back a little bit. But do you remember when like the thing in the 80s, late 80s, was the headlights that would pop up like that. You guys remember, remember that? It looked like, you know, a car had way too much coffee and it was like bugging up. You know, the eyes were, were opening up. Well, my, my Firebird did that. I'd flip a light and it would come up. Well, at least they did when my dad had it. By the time that I got it, the motors were always kind of wonky a little bit. So like it would like raise up and one would maybe raise up kind of and or you'd be driving and it would just automatically just shut when you hit a bump. That's fun on a country road at nighttime, by the way, when they just completely got happened more than once. And sometimes like you'd be driving down the road and like it would just get like out of whack. So like you could see like a little bit on the road and, and then you would see all the trees highlighted up here as well. And uh, that was my car. And you know, I, all, all that ran right, new engine, new everything basically in it, except for those headlights. I could never get those headlights working just right. And you know, it was just like, man, the car's running great, but this one thing is just making it off a little bit. Like it's just making it just weird a little bit and not like it should be. Um, you know, our churches can be like that sometimes. Did you know that? 
uh, we, we have all the right doctrine. We believe the Bible. We're Bible-preaching, Bible-believing churches, and we should be, amen, to that. We need the Word of God. Uh, we could be on mission. We could be sending mission teams all across the world. We could be giving through the cooperative program. We could be uh, supporting all kinds of ministries everywhere. Uh, we can have the correct polity. We can have the correct church go- type of go- church governance. We can do all of that. But sometimes we could just be missing one little thing. And that one little thing just makes everything just not right. It just makes it like the headlights. The car's running fine, it looks good, but that one little thing is just messing us up a little bit. Now, there's lots of little bitty things that can hurt a congregation. Would y'all agree with me on that? Lots of things, little bitty things that can make the headlights of a church kind of go backwards a little bit or, or, or not be exactly the way it needs to be. But there's one particularly that I have found in the book of Philippians chapter 2 that could truly hinder a church from being what God wants that church to be. They can have all the right beliefs, all the right doctrines. They can be on mission. They can be giving, all of this stuff. But if this one thing is present, it can make the ride really tough, and that is pride and arrogance and ego within a church. And the answer to that is humility. If our churches need to be forward and moving and making a difference, we must be humble people, church. We must look like Jesus and model humility to others in the world around us. So as you guys are in transition, as Valley Creek Baptist Church is seeking out what God has for her next, We need churches like Valley Creek, especially in transition, to be on this transition journey and to be humble. So I ask you today, as a church, first off, as a Christian, right? But second, as a member of Valley Creek Baptist Church, are you living a life as a Christian and as a church member of humility? Are you humble? today as you serve through Valley Creek Baptist Church. Let's see what God's Word has to say about this this morning. Let's stand to honor God's Word, His holy, inerrant, infallible Word this morning. Philippians chapter 2. I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible this morning. Philippians chapter 2. The Word of God reads this. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says this, if, there, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited or grasped, as some translations say. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above 
every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, thank you for the word. I pray that it would pierce our hearts this morning. Help me to preach it, Father, faithfully and within context. And we ask you, God, to help us this morning all to model Christ-like humility. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people prayed together, amen. You can have a seat. The Apostle Paul is the writer of the book of Philippians. And the church of Philippi was probably one of his favorite churches. It, it at, least, at least it had the, less prob, the least problems of the other churches he wrote to. Corinth had a lot of problems. <laughs> oh man, they had a lot of problems, you know, but Colossia had problems. But, Philipp, but the book of Philippians, the church doesn't have a lot of problems. He has a lot of good to say about the Philippian church, a lot of good. The book of Philippians is where we get those famous passages like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know you know that one. Or he tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, what? Rejoice. Those are, are great passages that come from the book of Philippians. It's a great book. It's a joyful book. Paul loves the, Philipp the Philippian church. He loves them. And in chapter 2, what he's doing is he's telling the church, hey, guys, listen, you just love me. I just love you. You're awesome. You guys are great. But go ahead and make my joy complete. Go ahead and push me over the edge of happiness, right? Go ahead and make me really excited this morning by being united and humble. I want you to look at just some of the things real quick what he says. He tells them to think the same way. He tells them to have the same love. He tells them to be united in spirit, intent on one purpose, not to act selfishly, to be humble and consider others as better than themselves. So he's saying, hey, church, think the same way, love each other, be united, be on purpose, don't be selfish, and think of others better than yourselves. Now, I'm sure the Philippians struggled with that, but we know today that in 2021, no church ever, ever struggles with thinking the same way, loving each other, being, in uni being, being united, have, being on purpose, acting selfishly, and not thinking of others better than themselves. We don't have that problem anymore, am I right, guys? Of course we have that problem. Every single church in America has that problem. We don't like to think of others better than ourselves. We don't like to love each other. We don't like to stay on purpose. We want to be selfish. We really do. It's our human nature. So when Paul tells us to think the same way, love each other, be united, be on purpose, don't be selfish, think of others better than yourselves, this is hard. Are y'all with me on that today? This is hard to do. Let's just be real. This is hard. And you've got to remember the context. He's telling this to what? A local what? Church. Today, the word is speaking to us today as we open it. And this is a message that's also for not just the Philippian church, but it's also for Valley Creek, amen? And also for every other church in Hardin County and across the world, right? That we need to be united. We need to love each other. We need to be on purpose. We need to seek the Lord um, and seek the benefit of other people. So I ask you today, how are you doing with that, Valley Creek? How are you doing with serving people and loving people? And not just your specific service and your specific love, but how are you all doing with unity as a church? How are you doing with purpose as a church? 
Today, I challenge you to think through how you can be a humble Christian, but also a humble member of Valley Creek Baptist Church, serving each other and loving each other in humility. Well, Kenny, how in the world do we do that? Well, I'm sure the Philippians would have asked the same thing. How do we do this? How do we do this? And what does Paul say there in verse 5? He says, okay, if you're going to do this, here's what you got to do. You ready? Adopt the attitude of who? Jesus Christ. If you're going to be united and loving each other and being on purpose and staying focused and serving each other, how are you going to do it? You ready? Look to, say it with me, church, look to who? Look to Jesus today. He's our model for being a church that loves each other, cares for each other, serves with each other, and is humble. Let's look at what the passage tells us. When you look at, at verses 5 through 11, this is often called the Christ hymn, is what this is often called. Probably was cited often in the early church, probably cited over and over and over. But he, he says the Christ hymn to remind the people of what Jesus did. And here's what we can learn from it. First, we learn this, that if we're going to be a humble church, loving each other, caring for each other, serving each other, if we're going to be doing that, we've got to remember this, that the humble think of other people like Jesus thought of other people. Humble people think of other people just like Jesus thought of other people. Look at verse 5, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited or grasped. Now, what does that mean? Let's think about Jesus for a second. We understand that Jesus Christ is God. Everybody cool with me on that today? He's God. The Bible states here and other places like Colossians and, 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 and all over, especially John 1.1, that Jesus is not a created being. Christ is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Help me. And the Word was God. Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst men. Jesus did not just come into existence at Christmas 2,000 years ago. He's always been here. He is the second member of the Trinity. There is God the Father, who is 100% God. There is God the Son, who is 100% God, and there is God the Holy Spirit who is 100% God. Well, Kenny, that's three gods. No, it's one God. It's called God math, and I have no idea how it works. I don't know. But it's one God in three persons. Each of those persons are fully God, but there's one God. I don't understand it. It, it blows my little pea brain mind. But that is how the Lord has revealed himself. Jesus is the second member of the Trinity. He is indeed God. And look what he did. In the form of God, he did not consider equality with God as something uh, to be grasped. He was willing to leave his position in the Godhead. Jesus was willing to do that for, our, for us so we could be saved. He was willing to leave heaven, to leave that for us. He knew that mankind could not be saved unless he became man and died for us on the cross to pay for our sins. That couldn't happen. So he didn't hold on to his title. He didn't say, well, I'm God and I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. He thought of others 
He thought of his creation. And he came to this earth. For, anybody glad Jesus did that for us today? You know, if we were in his shoes, I don't know if we would have done that. We are very selfish people. Would you agree with me on that? Humans love to be pleased. They love titles. They love to get their way. We are arrogant. We are cocky. We are rude. We are self-serving. Um, and you are. And I am too. My grandpa used to say, when you got one finger pointed, remember three's looking right back at you. <laughs> I'm speaking from experience here as a recovering, selfish, arrogant person. Amen? This is who we are. We're arrogant. And you know what? Advertisers know this. Did you know that? They know that you are selfish. They know that you are arrogant. And they actually try to manipulate you to buy their products by feeding into your arrogance. For example, Nike's slogan is what? Just... Do it. Just do it. You have the right. It's you, buddy. Just do it. Do what makes you feel good. Just do it. Laurel, because I'm worth it. Go buy about $500 worth of makeup. You're worth it, sissy. You're worth it. You're worth it. You deserve all that stuff that you're never going to use. You're worth it. You're worth it. Merrill Lynch, be bullish, man. Come on. It's you. You just, you just, you just do it. McDonald's, I'm loving it. Oh, boy, you deserve a Big Mac every now and then, amen? You deserve 10 Big Macs if you want it. You deserve 100 Big Macs if you want it, you know? You might deserve a heart cath, too, if you eat like that. But at the same time, you're loving it. I'm loving it. You just love it. You just love it. White Castle, it's what you crave. Burger King, it's your way. Sprite, obey, you're for thirst. And by the way, CNN, you are the first one that needs to know, right? Be the first one to know. You be the first one that knows why. Hey, the marketing companies know you're selfish. <laughs> the only problem is we don't know we're selfish. <laughs> Everybody knows you're arrogant and selfish except for you. And the Bible is very clear that we are arrogant and selfish. And when we look, when we come to Jesus as new creation, he saves us and makes us into a new creation. We aren't to think like that anymore. Amen. We're to think like Jesus. We're to think like Christ, who is willing to leave position and title for the sake of others. Are you willing to leave comfort and title and position for the sake of other people? If you're going to be a church that's united in love and purpose and humble, then you will. You will think of other people more than you think of yourself. And as we think of the local church, this is very, very important. Because you guys are born-again Christians. And the thing about the church is it's not that you just come and you hear music and you hear preaching. That's not what the church is about. The church is about being united together and in covenant agreement with each other. Amen on that? When you unite with the church as a born-again Christian, you are saying, I'm going to serve and give and be with these people. I'm going to love folks. I'm going to be united with them. That's what it means to be a church member. You are a born-again Christian and you're covenanting with these people. So when in the church context, what should we do? We should most definitely serve each other. Amen to that? How are you doing with serving each other in this room? How are you meeting the needs of people in this room? In this room? How are you doing with it? How are you doing with meeting the needs of the people in your first service? How are you doing with meeting the people needs of the other campus? How are you doing that? How are you serving 
each other. See, a humble church thinks of other people, not just yourself. Are y'all with me on that? Not just yourself. Number two, a humble church not only will think of other people, but the humble will serve and sacrifice like Jesus served and sacrificed. The humble will serve and sacrifice like Jesus served and sacrificed. Look at verse 7. He didn't claim that he didn't hold on to, to where he was. He, he, verse 7, what he did, what he instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We're told that Jesus emptied himself. What does that mean? Well, he still, he still was God. He didn't stop being God. When he, when he came to earth and he became a baby, he was still God. But now he was all God and all man. Actually, he left his position and rank is what he left behind. He, he was not in heaven. He was on earth at that time. And he became a servant. You know, you think about the life of Jesus. It just is so humble. Here is God, leaves heaven, and the moment that he comes into earth, where is it? In an old barn stable, right? And he's laid in a, in a stone feeding trough. That's what a manger actually is, a stone feeding trough. He's, he's laid there. He grows up in a carpenter shop doing manual labor. At the age of 30, he becomes homeless. Did you know that? He was homeless. Three and a half years of his life, Jesus was homeless. But yet he did what? He served others. He healed the sick. He walked on water. He raised the dead. Oh, my goodness, he went to the people that no one else would go to, didn't he? He touched the lepers, the woman at the well. He had a conversation with her. He saved her. He served people. And ultimately, what did he do? Praise God, he went to the cross for us. Amen. Here is the God of the universe. He, he allows himself. And by the way, he even said, I have an army of angels at my disposal. One word and they're coming to get me. One word, they'll take me off the cross and all y'all can make it on your own and you're all going to fry in hell. But he didn't do that. He went to the cross. He allowed himself to be bitten or he allowed himself to be beaten. He allowed himself to be whipped and spit upon. And by the way, the crucifixion pictures that we have are nothing like what it was really like. He was completely stripped, completely naked. That was part of the torture because you would be seen completely naked as a Jew and that was a horrible, shameful thing. He'd be completely stripped of his clothes, beaten and bloodied, hung on a cross for our sins. This is the God of the universe and what he did for us. And when he comes into our lives, and we cannot be saved any other way, right, without him doing that. Y'all with me on that? Without Jesus Christ doing that for us, we can't make it on our own. We can't be saved on our own. You aren't good enough. You just ain't. I love you, but you ain't. You ain't good enough. He had to save you. So why is it that once we give our lives to Christ and we get saved, we then think we're the top dog? We then think it's all about us. Why do we do that? Why do we become so arrogant? Didn't Jesus have to save us just like he saved anybody else? Why do we allow position and pride and, and, and prominence take over? 
And by the way, within the context of the local churches, and this is what Paul is preaching about in, in Philippians 2, about serving each other like this, why is it in the church we love positions of power and rank and authority and we like it our way in the church? When Christ instead is telling us to sacrifice and to serve, when he's telling us to put our preferences to the side and think of other people. Now, the reality is we do this all the time. Oh, I don't like that song set Luke sung today. It was a little long, a little loud. I don't like the, I don't like the color of these walls in here. I don't like this. I don't like that. Um, I, it, it's too cold this morning in the auditorium. It's a little warm in the auditorium. We had a guy in a church that I pastored. God bless his heart. You know, it's always a good story whenever you have to say God bless his heart before you say it, you know. God bless his heart. He was the self-ordained pope of the thermostat at the church I was at. I mean, God bless him. I love him. Some days I did, and God had to help me on the days I didn't, all right? But bless his heart, he took it upon himself to control the thermostat. It was his job. And I'll tell you what, if, if anybody went in there and turned, changed that thermostat a degree higher or a degree, or a degree lower than what he wanted, it would just, he would literally get physically upset in the middle of the service. He'd walk up right while I was preaching, and he'd go over and make a big scene out of it and change the thermostat. Sometimes, by God's grace, I just want to smack him, you know? And I had to repent because I was wrong, and I never did. I never did. But, man, just my flesh would get a hold of me. I was just, it was just wrong. But, man, it just used to drive me nuts. And I thought, man, why is he so concerned about that? Because the reality is, if he's hot or cold, somebody right next to him might be the exact opposite. All he could think about was what? Himself. In the context of the local church, I love you. I'm getting ready to go on vacation. We're actually leaving today. We're cars packed. We're actually going to Gulf Shores as soon as we say goodbye to you. So I'm going to be leaving the state. So I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to get in the car, and we're going to leave the state, okay? But let me say this real quick, all right? It just ain't about you in the local church. It just ain't. We're called to serve and sacrifice for each other. Amen? So look at your neighbor this morning. No, for real, look at your neighbor. Look at somebody and repeat after me. You ready? You're not the top dog in this church. Some of y'all moaned on that one, didn't you? Can I tell you why you're not the top dog? Can I tell you why? Can I tell you why? I'm going to. Because you ain't shed an ounce of blood for this church. But Jesus Christ did. He is the lordship and the authority over this church. It is Christ. Amen to that. He's the boss man. He's the Lord. He paid for it, right? With his blood, not you, but his blood, he paid for it. So we as believers, if we're going to be in a humble church, we have to put our preferences aside to serve others. We have to serve and sacrifice. Number three. We've learned that the humble think of others, the humble serve and sacrifice. But number three, the humble give glory to Christ because Christ is glorified. The humble give glory to Christ 
because Christ is glorified. Look at verse 9 of the Christ hymn in Philippians 2. For this reason, God highly exalted him, that's Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ died for our sins, but he did not stay dead. Amen to that one today. On the third day, God the Father raised God the Son from the dead. And it's through that death, his death and burial and resurrection that we are, our sins are paid for, that we are justified through his resurrection, through his raising, as Paul would say in Romans chapter 4, that we are raised with him now, that we are forgiven and justified. And, you know, many days after he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and he was seated at the right hand of God. And that is the name that rings the halls of heaven today. It is the name of Jesus. It is the name that is praised. It is the name that is glorified. It is the name above all names. It is the name by which we can only be saved. And that's Jesus. And we bring glory to God. We worship the name of Jesus. We sing songs about Jesus. We serve in the name of Jesus because Jesus is glorified. Amen. It's all about Jesus. Now we serve people like Jesus served people. We sacrifice like Jesus sacrificed. We think of others like Jesus thought of others. But here's the deal. You are not glorified like Jesus is glorified. He's the one that deserves glory, right? So when we think of others, when we serve and when we sacrifice, it's not for our glory. It's for whose glory? Jesus. Why do you come in here and Wake up early on a Sunday morning to sing songs and hear preaching to glorify Jesus, right? Why do we go out on mission to tell people about the good news that Christ can save them and he loves them? To glorify Jesus. Why do you serve? Why do you, why do you pick up trash? Why do you, you help paint and come early? Why do you do that? To glorify Jesus. Our reward is not on this earth, amen? It's in heaven. And we are so thankful that Jesus has saved us what are we going to do? We're going to praise him and glorify his name by serving other people in this church and loving others in the church. So what does this have to do with Valley Creek? It has everything to do with Valley Creek. As you're in a time of transition and you're seeking the Lord, you've got to be thinking about other people. Amen? You've got to be thinking about what other people need. You've got to be visiting the sick. You've got to be caring for people. You've got to be giving You've got to stay strong in your attendance. You've got to, to be focused on not your preference, but what God wants. Amen? Who God has, you've got to think about that. Who, who the Lord has for the next person here, you've got to be thinking about all that. Not what you want, but what the Lord wants. Amen? has everything to do with, with Valley Creek. About being humble and seeking God's direction for what's next. Um. Great story. I know I'm a little late. I'm going a little long, but I'm going to leave the state here in a second, so it's okay. But um, love the story. I think it's a great picture of service. Um, the famous evangelist D.L. Moody is one of my personal heroes. I love Moody, uh, the church history giants. He's one of my favorites. And um, Moody, famous evangelist in the United States, late 1800s. 
Um, the story goes that Moody was having a conference where multiple pastors from all over were coming. Very, very big deal, late 1800s, not quite like it is now. Big, big deal to come to something like that. A group of pastors from England came, and they were staying in some sort of lodging. And that night, before they went to bed, all of the English pastors took their shoes off and set them out by their doors. Apparently in England, in that time period, it was very customary that you would take your shoes off each night and the servants would come through, the paid servants would come through and clean your shoes. But in, in Massachusetts, where, where Moody held that conference, he, that was not the custom of America. Americans didn't do that, and we still don't do that. You know, that's not what we do. And as Moody was just kind of walking through that dorm one night, he saw all these shoes lined up, and he thought, oh, my goodness. So he, he went to go get some of his, uh, his colleagues, say, hey, man, we got to do something about this. And they said, oh, they're English it doesn't matter. That's not our custom. But it bothered Moody. And that night, when everyone was asleep, Moody, who's hosting the conference, went and collected every pair of those shoes. And he shined every one of them when he had the conference the next morning. He kept it a secret, but one of his colleagues woke up and saw what he was doing, and word spread that the famous evangelist, D.L. Moody, hosting a world conference, was shining the shoes of English people so they wouldn't be embarrassed. Isn't that a great picture of how we need to be serving as a church? We don't need the glory. We don't need the credit. We need to sacrifice and serve and think of the needs of other people above ourselves. Because that's exactly not what Moody did for English people, but it's what Jesus did for us. Amen. I'm going to ask our praise team if they would come this morning. I want you to respond as the Lord is speaking to you this morning. You see the, you see the screen there, multiple ways to respond. But here in a moment as our band begins to play, maybe today you've never given your life to Jesus. And that pride and arrogance is stopping you from responding to Christ. Jesus loves you. He died for you and rose again. If you admit your sins, believe that Jesus died for you and accept him in your heart, he will save you. He will. For, for the others in the church today, you're in a time of transition, and it's so critical that you act like Jesus during this time, that you act like Jesus, that you have the mentality. So as God lays on your heart, however you need to respond, maybe you need to come to the altar to pray, maybe you need to pray with somebody, but however the Lord is leading you today, maybe you need to come and give your life to Jesus. We invite you to come, and we invite you to listen to God and to be humble. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. And this time now, Lord, make us humble. Help us, Lord, to think of other people. Help us, Lord, to, to serve and sacrifice. Help us, Lord, to glorify you. And God, we pray that this church would have headlights that are shining clear. So, Father, we thank you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Would you stand?